this is not the type of business that you can thrive, succeed, or, or do what I did or what you've done. If you don't have this genuine love, you would have to do it no matter whether you were making money or not. Peace, what's going down? It's DJ Payne, one for BeatStars.com. As you can see, it's a very accomplished producer on the other side of the line with me. Uh, his name is DJ Shock, and uh, it's an honor to meet him. Appreciate you uh, sitting down and, and um, jumping into this interview with me. My pleasure, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it, man. I'm glad, like I said, I'm definitely glad to meet you too, man. I watch your videos and stuff, and, and you know, I've been checking your stuff out, man. You're definitely an inspiration to me on the online scene and I learned a lot from from your videos and stuff too so thank you man thank you man that's that's an absolute honor so um speaking of honors you're six times platinum four times gold two grammy nominations uh wow out of all of those accolades what are some of your favorite songs i mean of course the the biggest record i've ever done is slipping by dmx and uh it, it at the same time besides it be, <clears throat> excuse me happening to be the biggest one um, it was very meaningful because it was like my first major placement. Uh, it was the first record I did after I signed with Rough Riders. Um, it came at like a really low point in my life where I had, uh, left a city job that I had and I had it for about five years. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you shouldn't do that, this and that. So I basically got this really small advance of like 2,500 and uh, I went to California from, you know, from New York to work on uh, X's album. And unbelievably, like, literally, like, I just, maybe two days, I don't know if it was the first night I got there or the next night, we made Slippin'. And it was incredible. Like, you know, it couldn't have turned out better, you know. So let me pick on something you said, um, which is that you were signed to Rough Riders. Uh, I, I think that whole model of signing a producer to a label has changed a little bit. Um, it's I, I, it's not as common anymore, I don't think. Is that your experience? I think there's nothing <laughs> that's the same now as the time I'm talking about. I, I mean, including that. I think it's. I think there's some people still operating like on old models, um, but it's super rare. I think in my that's just my opinion from you know my research I've been doing. From uh, just the the work I've recently been doing and how I, I mean, it the landscape is is changing. It's changed a lot and it's and I feel like it's exponentially changing. Like it's just the change is happening faster now. I feel like you know, like it's it, it's very different. You know, signing a deal with Rough Riders. What did that really entail back then? I mean, it was first off, it, it wasn't the greatest deal. You know, um, I had before that I had an independent label, and uh, I was kind of used to doing doing my own thing. But what what you know, long story short, I ended up signing, and uh, the deal wasn't great. I mean, that twenty five hundred was for for half of my publishing, uh, producer royalties. You know, they they were involved in that, and I'm. To be 100% truthful, you know, like to this day, I, there's a lot of royalties I still haven't been paid. And I'm actually, um, there's like a lawsuit that's going on right now still, you know, to collect a lot of that money. Because what ended up happening was uh, when you do a deal like that, the danger of it, because even I knew what I was signing. I went to a lawyer. I understood it and I knew it wasn't the greatest deal. 
But, like, I really believe, like, I signed, like, right when, like, before X dropped his first album. Like, that was, I was in, in negotiations. And, like, I really believed in what they were doing as far as musically. And I wanted to just be a part of it. So, you know, even though it wasn't the greatest deal, I still did it. And um, I knew, you know, the, the money part wasn't the greatest. But what ended up happening was, even so that it wasn't so great, they would collect money and not pass it to me. So, like, let's say $100 comes in. You you collect it. And you're supposed to give me, let's say, 70 You You just keep the whole 100 And you don't. You don't pass it on. And that's what happened on a lot of, uh, you know, the music I did during that time. Yeah, I think that's the risk with, with signing to anybody who's who's in, who's responsible for collecting on your behalf because you're always putting a third party in between you and your, your money. But onto a more positive element of that situation, I mean, you, you, you've been cemented into hip-hop history because of a lot of records that you produce, but as you said, notably, DMX is slipping. Um, and it was such a different record for DMX. It's, it's my favorite DMX record, and it, it touched a lot of people. What does it mean to you to have produced undeniably classic records for hip-hop music and hip-hop culture as a whole? It's a weird thing because, um, on one hand, like it makes you feel good, you know, of course, and proud. And, and I mean, it, that was my dream. You know, I started making beats when I was 15, probably. You know, with a with a Kawhi drum machine, I'm 44, so that's going back a long ways, and uh, it was a huge dream of mine. So I was able to accomplish it. You know, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, these great accomplishments, uh, I'm blessed to to have, like I, like you said, I, I have a part in hip hop history. Um, but at the same time, you know, because you know it, it's like I also have a music business story to go with it. So it's like this, this like paradox of like this great thing and then this not so great thing you know but that's why i still you know the the love of music and and despite all those different things and and the ups and downs um i'm still making music because it's like it's something i can't stop doing and when i stop doing it the rest of my life kind of goes nuts so it's you know i'm sure like everybody listening to this to zombie stars making beats can probably relate to that you know so it's like, you know, it's 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 an addiction, man. It's it's a love, it's an addiction, it's it's a passion. And uh whatever the landscape is, you know, I'm just trying to figure out my place in it, you know. So speaking of, of stories, um, I read that when you got the beat for Slip and Placed with DMX, it was already four years old and it wasn't a beat that you thought was going to get placed. I just interviewed DJ Greenland, and his biggest placement was for a Ludacris record, and it was a beat that he was about to delete. Uh, so when you produced Slippin', you were also apparently on the verge of kind of you know giving up on pursuing uh, production. Through all of those trials you faced, what kept you going? It was the addiction to music, or it was something else? It was a drive to succeed, um, but honestly, it's it's it's... It is. It's the it's the love of music. I I I don't think, in my opinion, you know, in my humble opinion, that uh, this is not the type of business that you can thrive, succeed, or or do what I did, or what you've done, or what a, you know a lot of other producers do. If you don't have this genuine love, like if if you if everything crashed tomorrow 
and you you wouldn't and if you had free time you didn't make, get up and make a beat anyway you probably wouldn't be able to do it because there's <clears throat> tons of setbacks a lot of unfairness um you know i mean dude i could <laughs> if you if you want i can give you like a really crazy story you know i have a ton of them but you know just and i'm sure you've heard a million but just crazy things happen and and it's like you have to like rise above it you have to like sometimes you're in a situation and you have to like hold your tongue because if if you speak on what's going on at that moment you'll lose your placement you know because it's such a crazy environment and everyone you know everyone has a friend even back like now it's more saturated but even back back when i was heavy in it even back then you know the anr had two really good friends who made beats there's always this tension of like different things that are trying to happen that get in the way of like the pure creativity and um connection that you might have with an artist you know because you can you can sit down you can connect with an artist you can play something they'd be like damn that, that's crazy shocking they can start writing but there, there's this whole uh layer on top on top of them that can get involved at any moment and change that whole situation instantly that's that's the reality of the business and if that i know people that something like that happens once and they're just their taste for the game is done you know so so you have to really really love it like you would you would have to do it simply simply put without being too wordy you would have to do it no matter whether you were making money or not you would want to want to make music it's, it's okay here's something that people get hung up on a lot in terms of the financial aspect of production which is sampling obviously you like sampling i love sampling what in your opinion is the role of sampling in hip-hop culture it, it comes from the the dj you know like being a dj first and and just you know it, it it's like can't help yourself sometimes you hear this dope loop and you just know you have to do something and so the role it plays uh business-wise can be terrible i mean i've lost singles you know there was a there was a record that i always regretted um it was a, a chic and little mo record it was supposed to be on uh double r compilation volume three supposed to be the single i chopped up the sample i i you know had it on there i didn't i thought i chopped it up enough and um what you know anyway long story short it ended up not getting on there because they couldn't clear it at the end and um that was like damn man and it was a great record so it it hurt chic because he was a he was starting to break out on his own and it hurt me because it would have been another notch, you know, another notch under my belt, another good record. So um, sampling is a double-edged sword, you know. Sampling is like, you know, and and uh, you know, that's why like one of the one of the, you know, and I, it, it's a different company, you know, than, than BeatStars or Stracklib. And I've been working with them a lot because I like the fact that I can for, for very cheap, you know, I go on there, I pick up beats, you know, samples. They have enough, you know. And I mean, a lot of my sampling, I feel like I can I can manipulate things. So even if the library is limited to, you know, I like the fact that for very cheap, without having to clear and go through all kinds of hassles, and that excites me because it's my natural flow of of making music. I learned to do things without samples because at Rough Riders was one of the first East Coast uh, like sounds that that almost didn't want you to sample, you know. They would discourage sampling, like, you know, 
So they, they would even, I would have hot tracks and once in a while they would be like, yeah, but that's a sample. So they, they didn't, they wanted more publishing. They wanted more, you know, to, to generate more income. So they, they kind of made me do more without samples. Cause even in my, in my independent days, I did some stuff without samples, but it was just like, it would just kind of happen, you know? And it was dope. And I was like, oh, this is dope. It doesn't have a sample, but whatever. Um, so I don't know if that kind of, you know, what role does it play? I mean, is is it something that I would say, like, if you don't sample, it's not real hip hop. I would never say something like that. And is it some, you know, because, um, I mean, if you go back to the earliest hip hop, late 70s, to some of the first records, I mean, those were bands replaying stuff. So it's not like it was a sample. You couldn't even sample the way we sample today anyway, until later on when, you know, when Akai started uh, giving you longer samples, you know, and before that you had short, very short, you know, expensive samplers, you know. Do you know uh, what reason the sample was rejected? Or, sorry, the sample clearance uh, sample clearance request was rejected in the case of that sh uh, that Sheik Loose record. I think that a lot of it had to do with the lateness of the record. Like we we, we that record kind of came, and and it, it came in. The the compilation was almost done. That record came in. Like me me and Sheik had had done a lot of it in my studio, and. And then it, you know, it came in, it got mixed, like, in, in, in a quick period. And they wanted to put out, they had, a, like, a release date. So as soon as it got done, it got onto the sampler. And then I think the time didn't allow the label to feel secure. Like, we definitely can clear this. And I think that it, it just became an issue where they were like, you know what? Let's just go with something else. You know, this is, we need to get this done. Because that happens, you know I mean? When, like... I don't know so much now because you can just drop anything whenever you want now. Like, and you can, you can wait a week, you know, but back then it was like, if you had a release date, there's money going, there's, there's already ads going, there's stuff happening. And, and that, you know, it was important. And also contractually, like that was through Interscope and they had a label deal. So they were required to, to like do a certain amount of releases. So time is like of the essence in those type of situations. So I'm going to say that, that, time probably had a lot to do with it back to your resume which is absolutely legendary I, obviously we touched on this the industry has changed a lot since the dmx album dropped but you recently joined beat stars to start licensing beats online to a to the public through a publicly available catalog what made you make that decision to join um like late last year like i would say like in november december i i i made a website i started putting some beats up and i was doing exclusives only at like two ninety nine, and because uh, I was kind of like you know like every producer you know that before they go full on leasing and everything, I was a little sketchy on it you know, I was didn't understand it a hundred percent and I was kind of like eh, let me try this and that did pretty good you know I I surprised I was surprised like how well it did the end of last year, and then um I started to think about the, you know the big marketplace of leasing and the you know, the lower price price points the the you can resell the be you know just all the stuff you guys talk about and i said you know what i can i'm not taking anything away from myself i can still sell an exclusive i can still do other exclusives that i can put to the side you know aside from the catalog for leasing and um i i just thought it would be cool you know to to do that and i didn't have like an ulterior motive like um that i thought something would happen from it like specifically um i just thought why not you know let's, let me get into that marketplace let me you know, let, let me put my stuff in there and, and see what happens and, and 
give it a shot, you know? You said that you that the music business is a lot different now uh, than it was then. But with regards to the changes you've seen specifically for producers, what would you say is the biggest change? I'm going to be brutally honest. I think it's the, the devaluing of the producer, you know, across the board. I mean, um, you know, I've been a little bit more involved like this year and, and uh, you know, been in some sessions and different things. And uh, I'm noticing, you know, like the the engineer is getting paid. The, the the person doing the video is getting some money. And the producer is getting to the point where he's expected to be kind of like the artist. You know, like almost. I'm getting that vibe, you know. And and, and it's kind of, it's changing. And um, I don't know, you know. You know, like I'm sort of at a like, I, I have a big question mark about where everything is right now. And um, one thing that I do know is that no matter what the changes are, like like guys like you, for example, like the way you market yourself and, and the way that you have like all these different streams of revenue and different, you know, and, and the, the, the stuff that you guys are teaching, I'm impressed by it because no matter where the market goes, because you've kind of opened up these pathways uh, uh, to people, it, it feels like the market can go left, right, but you guys will still be able to ride through it because you're you're building a, a foundation of, of people who you're helping and you're doing things for and and I think that with such a like rapidly changing business, I think that's totally key. You know, like I, I you know, just from an observer standpoint, not saying that that's what I'm doing right now, um, but uh I I I'm mostly because I, you know, I have a a, a full time job, you know, and uh, so so I still do this, and you know, I'm I'm dad too, you know, I got my boys, and so I'm I'm spread a little bit more thin because I'm not 100 percent. But if I was 100 percent, that's the direction that I, I would probably be pushing, and that makes sense, you know. But as far as am I bugging or like? As far as like where is it going, I feel like it's almost anybody's guess at this point. Like where exactly it's is it going? What do you think? I mean, I know I'm not I'm not interviewing you, but I'm just curious. Things are shifting a little bit. I think producers have a little more influence, and I also think the fact that so many producers now have act well, they've always had access, but more are learning about the access they have to all of these resources that they can use, and, and most importantly, they have access to potentially millions and hundreds of millions of, of uh, artists out there or companies that, that want their production or want some type of production. So as you were saying earlier, there are, there are newer revenue streams for musicians of all kinds, but especially producers opening up because of technology, because of the internet. So, so I think it is a little bit like the wild, wild west, but I think when the, when the dust clears, um, the, the producers who learn the landscape and and prepared accordingly are, are going to be in a good position i feel that way too but it is a little bit like you know especially for someone like me you know like where i'm just kind of like you know i'm what like november december january february you know i'm like four months so i'm, I'm not kind of like a baby uh so you know for me it's like oh damn like i'm like you just dropped me in here and i'm looking around and I'm like wow so this so this so this and it and, you know, and like the, the vibe I was telling you is just kind of like, you know, I, 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 I'm just observing and kind of like seeing what's going on. 
but it but it goes two ways. You know, I believe like just like you said, I agree with you. It goes two ways. I think it can, it can be something that can can push you even greater into a better situation, but you have to learn it and you have to like ride that that wave that's happening. And I think what's dope, and you you tell me because this is your record, but I, f- I feel like a beat like slipping because it's a it, it's a hip hop classic. It wasn't. It didn't have a sound that was tied to its era. Um, it, I could hear that beat. If it hadn't been used by DMX, I could hear that beat on the next J. Cole album. I would say, in a, in a sense, it's timeless because I, I'm not tied into exactly what's happening, although I am, I'm always influenced by what's happening. It always makes its way into what I'm doing. Um, because even, even like Slippin', for example, like those drums are, are from Hydra, by Grover Washington, which are the same drums that are on like how many MCs. Um, but uh, one of the things I did with that record intentionally was I had originally done it off vinyl, and um, so it had a grittier sound. So, I, but I went and copped the CDs back then at Tower, and I was like, and I was getting into like cleaning up my sound, you know, like you know, because all my stuff was super gritty. So I was like, let me, let me. I wanted that record in particular, the, the beat. Uh, to be a little more clean, and so I, I, you know, I got the samples off CD, and and I and I tried to keep it as clean. I mean, it still went through a 950; it still had that. So I think that might be also a part of um, what kind of puts it in that category, maybe. Even though it had this influence, because you know the filtering, yeah, and and then and then the unfiltering it. That's you know super boom bap, you know, like 90s vibe. But but it's it came back. But it's in a way, yeah, it's in a different kind of form you know because that was i mean if there was anything i brought into the camp it was that because i had a, i had a very big underground um influence and i had my underground label and um they, they were they were pushing more into like the non you know so i was the i if anybody was resisting it a little bit it was probably me you know but still going with it kind of like how i said you know so it's still happening still going with it but but still being influenced by what was happening you know Got it. So with everything that we just said, which is a lot, what advice would you give an aspiring producer in, in this era? What would you tell them to focus on to actually build their career? And I've been thinking about this because I'm, I'm a, I feel like a new producer. I mean, because of the, the way my, my career has played itself out and, and the way I've kind of disappeared a bit and, and I'm sort of reemerging. It's a pretty dope idea, which I'm going to try and do, um, is to work with an artist. Do an album. You know, like with an artist, like I think it's a pretty dope idea because I think it 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 has multiple good things about it. It'll help you develop a sound. It'll help the artist develop something. It'll help develop a chemistry, and it it will also be sort of a calling card for what you can do right now. You know, like for me, you know, like what can I do right now? You know, not what I did twenty years ago. What can I do right now? And I think that that is super helpful to the artist because it, it it's a project, you know, and, and it also brings, you know, the, the group, I think that with, with all of this kind of uncertainty about how to monetize and how this, I think while people are like, this is how I'm doing it, while I'm figuring out how to do that stuff and what's going to work for me. I think it'd be kind of dope to do a project. And I feel like for, for a brand new producer, it'd be just as good because while they're figuring out 
how are they going to sell tracks online, how are they going to open up their store, how they, they're on the side doing this project with an artist they think is dope. And, and it's also good, cool because it, it brings another element to artists because it's one thing to just pick up beats, you know, and rap on them. But, I mean, you know, I've experienced this in my, basically my whole career. Going in the lab, like, daily with, with someone and, like, vibing and being like, yo, and then we could do this on that one. And it's pretty dope, man. It's like, it's what I love about making music, you know? It's like a real, it's dope, man. Like, you kind of lose a lot of it by, you know, just always, there's a dopeness to going online, picking up a track, writing something dope at that moment and being inspired. But but let's not forget about that other kind of organic thing that happens because it's fun. It's it's actually it, it's exciting. Like when you're building with someone and you like and you and you all of a sudden start going in the right direction, the same direction, both of you or or all four of you, whatever it is. It's pretty cool, man. And, and I think that's something with the you know advice to new new producers. I did that early on, and it really taught me to be a, a producer in the sense of that's another you know, good one, yeah what a producer is is really supposed to be doing uh, it, with record production. I mean, there are people who produce beats, there are people who produce beats and records. I know you do both, um, and, and you're right. It's a, it's fun to make a beat, it's fun to make a song. Why not try both, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so speaking of beats, how do recording artists who want to hear your beats and license them, how do they find them? S-H-O-K. B E A T S shockbeats.com. So I don't put the C in shock. Um, and you know, I'm on BeatStars. I got a pro page on BeatStars. And on my page, my, my player is the BeatStars player. So I'm basically BeatStars down right now. So that's that's how to get tracks. And, and um, you know, if, if there's an artist out there that thinks they're dope, like I, that's what I'm looking to do right now. I want to do a project with somebody. And, um, you know, I'm already talking with some one, one particular artist who I think is really dope. His name is Jug the Illist. And um, we're, we're going to try and work on something together. And we've been talking about it. He's in Philly. And how do people find you on social media? On Instagram, um, DJ Shock Beats. And uh, you know what happened? I don't know what happened to my Twitter, if it got hacked or something, but it got suspended. And they won't let me pack in. I don't know what happened. So my Twitter is at shockbeats. I don't know what's going to happen with that. And um, everything is basically shockbeats, shock basically. Wherever you go, if you put in shockbeats, SoundCloud, is, it's shockbeats everywhere. 